They were said to be a group holding to strict and severe moral beliefs, especially concerning pleasure. They were believed to be fanatical, joyless, judgmental, and overly obsessed with making rules, especially geared toward extreme patriarchy. Many say they were haunted by the fear that someone somewhere might be happy and actually smiling. Is this well-known group really all that's cracked up to be? Do they really have the reputation they deserve? And is there anything that the group possessed that we might learn from and benefit from? Might we need what they actually had? Who is this group? Join us today as we take this time to stop and think about it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment, and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Well, greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. We just recently had a fantastic conference on the gospel-centered family with Mark Spence, Carlton McLeod, and Scott Brown, and yours truly. And truly, it was a tremendous blessing to the hearts of many on family, marriage, parenting. So I don't know if we're going to do it again, but for all those that participated and joined, blessings to you, and thank you for all the questions and listening to our answers. Well, today, Glenroy, our West Indian wordsmith, cannot be with us, and I'm crying inside. But I'm also smiling on the outside as well, not because he's not with us, but because joining us once again is the husband, father, music leader, fisherman, hunter, and American history teacher extraordinaire, Dylan McKeon. Welcome back, Dylan. <laughs> uh, I feel like we're missing some flavor with uh, Glenroy, but... Uh... So happy to be here, uh, and very honored to uh, to be a part of our uh, to be part of this podcast. Thank you. Amen. Glenn does bring the flavor, and and I appreciate that. Very good with the curry goat since he is Jamaican. <laughs> but in our last few episodes, we looked at Christianity, politics, and voting, and it seems that this is currently still a very hot topic with many political seats still hanging in the balance, including who will actually sit in the Oval Office. However, although many are focused very much on this office, and it does have temporal importance, let's stop and think about this historical group that we began to talk about in our intro, and that perhaps we have much to learn from. Now, Dylan, you have any idea which group that I'm referring to? It's not the Bee Gees, it's not YouTube, it's not the Beatles. Is it the Jehovah's Witnesses? No, no, no. No, no, no. Well, the Jehovah, well, Jehovah's Witnesses actually are not witnesses for Jehovah. That's right. That's at right. least at least not the one in the Bible. <laughs> uh, so are you talking about the Puritans? I'm talking about the Puritans. Only a history teacher extraordinaire would have smelled that and been able to discern that. So kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so say again. 
what I get paid for. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm going to double your salary from the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the Puritans, uh, we've heard about them. So just right off the cuff, do you normally hear good things, bad things? Have you heard things in your school, maybe by their teachers? So I'm sitting at a professional development, maybe like three years ago, uh, in my school for a lot of teachers in my school, I was teaching middle school at the time, middle school history. And, uh, we're analyzing the image of the first Thanksgiving. There's a famous painting called the first Thanksgiving. Um, and it has Native Americans in there, it has animals, and it has the pilgrims. And um, the teachers are taking a critical lens to this image and um, comparing it to the history of it. Uh, and uh, we, we start a conversation about Puritans, and I hear the teacher next to me say, oh, the Puritans, they were the worst, the worst. And in my head, I thought, man, if you only knew, uh, if you only knew the truth about these, these men and women of God, so... Hey, uh, what subject did that guy teach? If you recall history, he taught history. Yeah. So, uh, maybe he had a skewed history or revisionist history in his head. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, to, to, to that person, to that teacher, uh, Puritans was equated with, um, colonists and colonists were equated with, uh, genocide and equated, you know, equated with taking stealing land from native americans and uh that's just simply not the truth about these people right right yeah i've heard some of those same things uh i had one history teacher tell me that the puritans would take blankets rub smallpox on them and just hand blankets out to kill everybody right not true yeah so (laughs) i think they just they get such a bad rap and i don't know where does that come from I think it comes from revisionist history. I think it comes from grouping, uh, just grouping um, white colonists together. Uh, not all colonists were were the um, colonizers, right? That were uh, there's there's some truth to uh, the wickedness of colonizers, sure. sure. But I don't think you can group the Puritans into that into that group. It seems to have that same sentiment. And so it seemed, you know, uh, to the temperature now with the social justice thing of, you know, oppressed and oppressor. So, you know, uh, the Puritans are on the chopping block along with, you know, white males, Protestants, uh, you know, and anyone who fits, you know, that kind of category. Correct. Correct. Actually, um, the Puritans were like very, were pretty uh, tolerant in, in the understanding that these other people were part of God's creation and God's children, you know, they were um, God's creation as well. Yeah. Because they would leave uh, England for freedom. Right. Right. So they obviously weren't trying to come in and then oppress people because in one sense, I guess, if you look at it just through that lens, then they were being oppressed. You know, we wouldn't actually use the word persecuted <laughs> biblical term, um, but yeah, they were being, you know, hammered on and being killed, um, for trying to, uh, get the church back to where it needed to be in the, uh, following the footsteps of the reformers, such as Luther and Calvin and Tyndale and Knox. And so wh- wh- who, let's look at just who the Puritans and the pilgrims were and, and when they were, um, so 
what's some things you could tell us, you know, right off the bat, um, as far as, you know, who they were, when they were. Yeah. So, uh, literally the Puritans, they were very devout believers, uh, within the church of England. Um, and they sought to purify the church of England or the Anglican church's doctrine and worship. Um, and they got that term Puritan, uh, like many other denominations, right? Including Baptists, uh, even the term Christian was given to them. It was labeled to them by their denouncers. Um, and they were given this nickname Puritan in the early 1560s as a term of derision uh, because of their efforts to conform the National Church of England, the Anglican Church, to a higher standard, the standard of Scripture. And to so, they're, so they were being mocked. This was a term of mockery. Yeah, it was. And then eventually it was kind of worn as a badge of honor. Correct. Yeah. If you will. Just like Baptists, just like, <laughs> just like Christian. Yeah. Right. And uh, Christians used to be called people of the way because yeah. Jesus said he was the way. And so I know that this group of uh, Puritans that came from England, uh, they were um, kind of following in the stream of the great reformers of Luther and Tyndale, John Knox, um, and, and many others. Uh, John Calvin, can't forget John Calvin. <laughs> Yeah. And so, um, you know, they were very serious, but yet very joyful um, Christians that concentrated on God's word. Yet that's not the character that most people that really don't know history understand them as. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have uh, one of my favorite, you know, more modern day authors, um, J.I. Packer. He calls these men um, the California Redwood Redwoods in the forest of Christianity. I mean, this is a very unique time in our Christian history where you had these, uh, these great preachers, great theologians, incredible expositors and writers that to come up from, uh, from expositing the word of God. I mean, it was like, it's kind of like a, you know, where the, you have the reformers um, but they are just a, a, another generation of, of men like that who are so devoted to God's word, um, so zealous for, you know, uh, sola scriptura, you know, in the five solas. And they're really just um, men that could handle God's word unlike unlike any other uh, time. So, yeah, they, they were incredible um, and we need to be more like them. Yeah, I, you just gave me uh, nightmares in one sense of the California Redwoods uh, <laughs> driving through uh, California toward a dear friend's uh, wedding. Uh, we had uh, a driver which was flying through <laughs> these hills and valleys, through the Redwood Forest, if you will. Um, and it was night, so we didn't even get to see them. But uh, it was... You, you, your heart was like in your throat the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to drive and the other person like wouldn't let me drive. It was a horrible experience. But when Pastor Peter and I drove back in the daytime, we saw what these redwoods looked like and they were huge. I mean, they were massive and you could just picture um, we rented a pickup truck. Like if that pickup truck would have hit one of those redwoods, forget about it. We would have been toast. But uh, I mean, they were they were they were gorgeous. But really, even more than gorgeous, they were just massive. And so, as you're talking about the Puritans being 
uh, um, you know, like these California redwoods. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm making the connection right now in my mind of like what I saw uh, driving through uh, the redwoods and, you know, how that kind of re- that picture kind of relates uh, to these uh, the these pilgrims, these Puritans, uh, these people um, that stem from the Reformation, uh, just in one sense, giants, but not in the sense that they were, uh, you know, that they were um, something so special per, just per se about them. It's that God did something in them, just like he has done with many men. And so mm. more so than being great men, I mean, there was a great God that they were serving, and that's kind of what made them great, if you will, because of the God that they serve. They, you know, obviously we can't divorce it lest we idolize these men, but, but yet there were just some incredible men that uh, just had such a steadfastness, a a stick-to-itiveness. I think it was Joel Beakey who said they were, they were gifted with keeping one eye in eternity while living in this world. Mm. Uh, Steve Lawson would put it like this. They were isolated um, I'm sorry, they were insulated from the world, but they weren't isolated from the world. Mm. And to use the illustration, uh, they came by ship in the water. There was just no water in the ship because they were they were in the world. They just were not of the world. Mm. And so I like what you said before, though, uh, Dylan, that uh, they were given uh, an insulting name, Puritan. And today we look to this name and the group of men that represents this name. Mm. And, and we look with awe at what God did through the lives of these men. And so it seems that, you know, what men meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I think about the, you know, the term, right? Like we stand on the shoulders of giants. Like I think about these guys and yes, like they're, you know, the, the best of men are men at best, right? These guys are, are men just like, just like we are. But I think, uh, you know, my, uh, I, I'm part of a group that reads, you know, we, we try to go through different books, uh, every month and, uh, we, we read a mix of books. We, we read a mix of, uh, you know, uh, Paul David Tripp, and we've we've read some um, John MacArthur, and then we will read guys like John Owen, and then you know Thomas Hodge and Thomas Watson, and I got to get the Puritan paperback versions of these guys because uh, they think in a in a way that we don't think like today, and I think they serve the Lord with all their mind in a way that we don't do that today, um, and uh, they really. Uh, they really put themselves all out for Jesus Christ and discipline themselves in a, in a way that is, I think, uncommon today. And uh, kind of as you're saying some of those, the names of some of those dead guys, I was thinking like when, uh, when the name Mufasa was used, it was like, Ooh, say it again, say it again. <laughs> John Owen, Ooh, say it again. Yeah. You know, Prince of the um, That's right. yeah. I mean, just men that, ref- that revered God, um, I mean, in just such an exemplary fashion, just such a mindset that you're like, wow. But but really, in one sense, it's wow. But in another sense, we think, man, if we think that that temperature is hot, what does that say about the temperature that we're at right now? Hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Convicting. In the words of that famous theologian, Vodibakum, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know? And so like, sometimes we look at them, we think like, these are the super giants and, and God did mightily use them. I mean, we can't take away all that God used them for and the type of men that they were and, and all that we can learn from them. What are some of the additional things that the Puritans believed? I know we touched on a few of them. What are some of kind of the high or highlights or majors that they focused on in their belief and their doctrine? I would say their devotion to scripture alone, sola scriptura. Um, you have guys like John Knox who s- looked at the Church of England and the Anglican Church, and he saw that they held to many traditions of the Catholic Church. Um, things like we must kneel during communion. And uh, he criticized the Catholic Church for that and pointed them back to scripture alone. There's no, there's no evidence in scripture that this is something we have to do. And uh, he definitely took some took some flack for that because I know he often preached in front of the King of England. Um, and even, even going so far as um, denouncing sexual impurity amongst believers uh, and, and really pointing back to scripture uh, how we must flee from that. And that sh- does not mark, that character does not mark what a Christian is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the five solas would come out of Puritanism from the Reformation, like you said, uh, sola scriptura, uh, scripture alone. Uh, Roman Catholics fight against that because they believe it's scripture plus tradition. It's Christ plus faith. It's not faith alone. Um, The Puritans believed in um, not only faith alone, but grace alone yeah. uh, to the glory of God alone. And so they were really serious about holiness. They were serious, not just holiness kind of like as uh, a piece of stale bread that you have to like just swallow down and just goop, you know, just kind of gulp at, <laughs> uh, but holiness in the sense of uh, they wanted to be like Jesus. I mean, the most holy man that ever walked on the face of this earth. They just wanted to be like him. And so when people think about holiness, maybe they think of, you know, that piece of stale bread, but really there was no one more joyful than Jesus. So Mm. clearly holiness and joyfulness are not like separate characteristics. They, they are, they are joined and they're perfectly founded and joined in Christ. And I could see these men wanted to be like Jesus. And so the character that many with this revisionist history have that they, you know, again, that they were joyless and they didn't want people see people smiling and anything like that. I mean, nothing can be further from the truth. And, you know, I think that the holier we live, the happier that we are because we're pleasing the one who made us. And I think the, the uh, Puritans were living in a time sort of similar to ours, where many people were claiming and professing Christ, but actually their lives did not match up to that. And you can say that's true for almost all times in history. But, uh, you know, you look at like guys like John Owen, you know, and they're teaching about indwelling sin and the mortification of sin. And guys like Watson, who's who, who uh, wrote that book on the doctrine of repentance, and they're saying, here to be holy, you must repent of your sin. You must turn away from that. And here's the importance of that. And here's how to do that by looking at Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that is what we must do today. We must be repenting, right? There's that famous quote from John Owen, you know, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We see that they had like many problems that they faced 
And I know you mentioned as far as you know, Roman Catholics, um, they came against them in a very, very hard way. Uh, how did they treat the Puritans? Uh, not with, uh, not with kid gloves. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, so you had, uh, you had Edward the sixth who was very, um, he was very sympathetic to the Puritan cause, but he was, uh, he lived shortly, uh, cause he died as a teenager and, uh, his, his, his relative bloody Mary took the throne of England and she was a staunch Catholic and she went on a reign of terror that killed many Puritans. I think something like 288 Puritans um, or people with Puritan-like convictions were burned at the stake in her reign. And so what happened was uh, she drove many of these Puritans out, right? They were facing oppression. (laughs) They're facing persecution. Yeah. Do you remember Lady Jane Grey? She was kind of like right before um, who we would call Bloody Mary. I think Lady Jane Grey was very godly. A very intelligent young woman, and I think she was uh, queen for like nine days. And I think she was um, his cousin, or twice twice removed, or something of that nature. But uh, man, Mary somehow swooped in and just uh, murdered um, both Lady Jane Grey and her husband. Mm. Um, and so, and then she just continued on. Uh, and what's interesting, you know, it almost seems like Islam, like, you know, get out of my way or I'll slaughter you. Right. Um, you know, and obviously that's not the way of Christ. He told Peter, put your sword away when Peter was ready to fight. Many Roman Catholics have taken the second commandment. No, I'm sorry. Yes. The second commandment out of the scriptures about idolatry and taken the 10th commandment and, and sawed it in two and you know, made it nine and 10 so that they have 10. Mm. Um, it seems that they missed the fact that you don't, you know, beat people into submission to Christ, but that's because, you know, as a system, uh, I don't believe that they worship the true Christ as a system. Uh, I think there are some Catholics that surely, uh, turn to Christ. And I think many of them leave Roman Catholicism, you know, as I did, as I believe you did, yeah. and and others, yeah. Um, and so becomes, you know, but it becomes a more of a cultural, yeah, and a political allegiance, and sure, a departure from scripture. Like the Crusades departed from scripture. Like all, you know, anytime you you uphold that and the traditions and the culture of it, but you leave scripture in the dust, you get things. You get this is the fruit of that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And so, so she drove out many Puritans, um, at the earlier generation of Puritans, they, many of them left to go to mainland Europe, the continent. And you found Puritans that wound up in cities like Geneva and yes. at, uh, churches like John Knox's English speaking church in Geneva, uh, which was, you know, where Calvin, Calvin taught and Calvin pastor as well. Wow. And you just look back you know, uh, history is his story. And so you're looking back and seeing how God is unfolding yeah. his redemptive story, uh, uh, you know, throughout the ages. And that's where we get history from. It's not a patriarchal thing. It's about the Lord. Right. So, you know, all of your teachers are going to say, oh, it's patriarchy. It shouldn't be his story. It should be her story. It should be our story, their story, anybody's story. That's not what it's about. And, and you look at God, right? History is all God's un, unraveling plan of redemption. 
And you look at, you know, Paul, I'm just, I'm just reading through Acts right now again. And Paul, you know, he's persecuting Stephen and he goes on the warpath and he's persecuting the Christians and he's driving the Christians out. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and they're, they're going to teach and they're going to Samaria and they're teaching. And kind of in the same way here, you have a persecutor, right, Bloody Mary, and she's driving these Puritans out. And they're going to be going to places like mainland Europe. They're going to be the pilgrims that come to Plymouth. And so there the gospel goes forth, right? It's the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And, uh, and that's why, right, if persecution ever comes in a heavier way to America, it is just part of God's plan um, to, A, separate the sheep from the, from the goats, and B, to spread the gospel around to, to achieve his purpose. Yeah, yeah, it does. Persecution does purify the church. Um, all right, here's another one that many people didn't know. And until recently, I didn't know it either. Um, admittedly, um, where the first Thanksgiving was, we're kind of transitioning right now to all our listeners, uh, getting into the whole aspect of Thanksgiving with that, probably by the time you're hearing this, having already passed. But um so the first Thanksgiving, was it in the area of Plymouth, New England? What do you think, Dylan? Isn't that what you learned? <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you had talked to me a little while ago, I would have said, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been to Plymouth, you know, and like at, when I was there, I've been to Plymouth Rock on vacation and I was, was there. I was like, whoa, this is this is the place of the first Thanksgiving. And, and that's that's actually uh, and, you know, it comes from that painting. Uh, it's just it's just a fallacy. So uh, <laughs> yeah. survey says, yeah. See, that's what happens when you, in a professional development, try to interpret paintings. Uh, you know, um, authorial intent. Just you know, get down to what the what the painter meant when he painted that. Um, not what do you think he meant, and bringing new ideas to it. Mm. Um, by the way, we're not called to necessarily interpret paintings. We're called to interpret scripture. So that's just as in a, uh, a little aside, but the first Thanksgiving, all right, listeners, you're hearing this. It wasn't in Plymouth. It was actually likely on June 30th at Fort Caroline in modern day city of Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> no I way. I know. You feel like saying, shut up. <laughs> they don't even have fall. They don't even have fall in, in Jacksonville. <laughs> Come on. So, Do they even have turkeys there? Come on. <laughs> There's a guy. I went to Florida. I met a couple of turkeys. I'm, I'm here to tell you <laughs> at the airport. Um, but yeah, so Fort Caroline established along the St. John's River. In 1564, by a group of 200 French Huguenots. Mm. And so when they landed, they decided to have a service of Thanksgiving. And here's what they said I love this. On the morrow, about the break of day, I commanded a trumpet to be sounded, that being assembled, we might give God thanks for our favorable and happy arrival. Then we sang a psalm of Thanksgiving unto God, beseeching Him that it would please him of his grace to continue his accustomed goodness toward us, his poor servants, and aid us in all our enterprises, that all might turn to his glory and the advancement of our king. And just to make a connection, 
You mentioned about John Calvin in Geneva. Well, these men brought with them and women, um, they brought a psalter that was produced by John Calvin, and that was used to sing in the first Thanksgiving in Florida. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so like when you talk about God's, you know, God's doings in, in redemptive history and him unfolding things at it as far as it being his story. I mean, there's so many connected dots that you can just see intertwined here. And, and it's God's hand just doing all of this. And so this was actually the first Protestant hymn sung on American soil. And they taught the, I hope I'm saying this right. The Timukian Indians. I definitely botched that up (laughs) to also sing this Psalter. And then soon after the Spanish came, wiped them out and Mm -hmm. killed nearly all the Huguenots and the ones that survived, they went back to France. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but this was actually the first Thanksgiving. Now let's transition once again to the Thanksgiving that we more understand as the first Thanksgiving, I guess the one in the painting that you were talking about. (laughs) So actually you can go back to that teacher and say, listen, the whole painting was wrong because it wasn't even a Florida. True. So palm <laughs> trees there, man. There you go. You know, <laughs> guys, all, a turkey. All the, veg- all the vegetation's wrong. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> they didn't have yams. They had oranges. <laughs> <laughs> the Thanksgiving now in New England came in 1621. So that's some time after the Huguenots. Mm-hmm. Uh, left from 1564 and so the england puritans they came and celebrated their first thanksgiving most likely late in september or october but it was celebrated did you know this not just for one day but several days did you know that like just like a, an indian wedding i love it there you go <laughs> you know i mean i mean does it does it count if you eat turkey for multiple days after Thanksgiving? Is that? Yeah, uh, you might look like a turkey. After that. <laughs> but as my uh, my Bronx uh, father used to say, three days sounded like Joe Pesci. <laughs> three days, and so that's how long they celebrated. They celebrated for three days, uh, Thanksgiving, and so um, it wasn't just like a one day eat as much as you can. I guess they saved some room for dessert and then they just continued on with the leftovers uh, throughout. But, uh, but you know, it wasn't just about eating. It was about the being together, thanking God uh, again and again and again. And, and you know what? I don't think this was like necessarily an unusual thing. I think that they lived for the glory of God, like they destined to. And in that they had to live thanking God day by day, not just over these three days. But constantly, I, I I just picture these men and women always thanking God, thanking God for everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the trials, the temptations, the blessings, everything that came their way. I just picture that they were just so thankful to God. I mean, and, and you think about the trials, right? You think about going to a land that you're unfamiliar with. You're, you're not even sure if you're going to make it there. And you're, you're meeting a people group, right, that you, you don't know who they are and you can't speak their language. And uh, I mean, like. And just planting crops and trying to survive. And and honestly, those trials really – like our trials pale in comparison to those challenges that they're facing. 
And so they're, they're thanking God for keeping them alive, period. And we should also be doing that. And, and, and I think there's, there's a lot we can learn from them in, in their enduring through these trials, trusting in God's providence, trusting in his grace, and then really also thanking him for his, abund- his abundance during that time. I mean, you know, the, the, the harvest time, right? It's a, in a rural society like that, it's, it's a little less work um, during that time. And, and it's time where they can spend those three days uh, rather than work to just rest and give God all the glory and the praise. And there's a lot of misconceptions nowadays in the public school system. I've heard all kinds of things. I've heard things like uh, the pilgrims are thanking the natives, you know, uh, on Thanksgiving. That's the day where they, they shared food and they're thanking the natives. Uh, sorry, I don't think that's history. Right. I mean, you just got to look at the character of these Puritans and you can't help but think, these people were thanking the Lord on high. And yeah, I'm sure they thanked Native Americans. I mean, I'm sure Native Americans were, uh, there's documentation about them providing venison for the first Thanksgiving meal. Um, which Your I, favorite. Which I love. Hey, hey, that's, that's what I want to eat on Thanksgiving too. But, but um, you know, they're, they're separating these days. Uh, and they're sharing their bounty with Native Americans, and, and they're also partaking in the bounty from Native Americans. Uh, but they're not just thanking Native Americans. They're giving thanks to God. And that's that's the point I really want to drive home today is that Thanksgiving is, n- is a, um, a holiday that we take the time, uh, and we should always be doing this, but we, we also on this day take the time and, and we stop and think about it, right, and we reflect and we consider the blessings from God, not just the blessings that he's given us um, temporary, like on this earth, uh, although we thank him for those things, uh, because without them, we, we can't live. But yes. we thank him for the heavenly blessings as well. And so uh, it's so easy, right, to get wrapped up in the culture of our world and our society. And and really just, you know, there's a lot of celebration involved. There's a time off of work. And those are good things. But it, it must be to the glory and thanks of God. Yeah, I mean, when you think about who these men were, um, don't paint them in the way that you want them to be or the way that you think they were. Uh, uh, look at them as they really were, where they came from and what these men stood for, what they believed. So all of a sudden, they're going to just change their whole beliefs and they just come. They forgot about thanking God and they're the thanking men only. I mean, they believe that God made all men. Right. So why would that not thank God? for all the bounty and even thank God for the native Americans in whom uh, they shared some of this bounty with uh, among, you know, one another. And so I think that their heart was more, you know, God, I thank you for these men creating your image that we could sit down and eat with and share with, and thank you for uh, this, this incredible bounty that you've given us and for protecting us and allowing us to survive on the way over because not everybody survived. Did they before the pilgrims even made landfall on the Mayflower, they participated in a type of Thanksgiving. David Hall in his book on religious belief in early new England says twice en route, the passengers aboard the Mayflower participated in a fast and once Two days after sounding ground beneath uh, the Arbella, a Thanksgiving. And 
when the sailing season ended with all the ships accounted for, we had a day of Thanksgiving in all the plantations. And uh, we have a really great uh, eyewitness account um, in, a, in his chronicle, Edward Winslow. He talks about this first Thanksgiving and he says this, I love this. He said, our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling that so we might after a special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl, that's, uh, that's birds, as with a little help aside, served the company almost a week, at which time, among the rec- other recreations, we exercised our arms, many of the Indians coming among us, and among the rest, their greatest king, Masios, uh, I'm not his name, Massasoit, with some 90 men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. So you see, right? He's thanking God. And even before they encountered the natives, they had Thanksgiving on board the Mayflower. Wow. Wow. Man, you're just blowing up that painting that you saw the first Thanksgiving. I mean, <laughs> you know, we need a new painting. I don't think there's anything wrong with a painting. I think people sure. I think people associate well, apart from the first Thanksgiving being in Jacksonville. <laughs> but uh I think the um And the second one being on the ship, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think just people associate um associate white colonists um with the downfall of Native American culture. And I love different cultures. I respect people's cultures. But I also know that there's something called idolatry, that men who are created in God's image will worship the created thing rather than the creature. And that's not something you respect in culture. It's something you condemn and preach the gospel for. Um, and so you can't, like, all cult, like, you can't just go around and say, well, we're not going to, preach Christ because we want to respect the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, even some of the native American Indians, I mean, they slaughtered each other. They were brutal toward each other. It wasn't like, you know, they just, Hey, you know, we're just all getting along. I mean, that's just not how it went. And then, you know, this group of people just came and stole their land and all the people who wear the hats, you know, we're on, we're um, living on stolen land. Um, That is just not the way, uh, that it all went down. I mean, they raped each other's women. They ate each other's children. They slaughtered each other. Some of them put each other into slavery. Right. And, you know, the Puritans stood against those barbaric practices as well. And they brought the gospel to these people, right. which is what they needed because the heart has to change from within. I heard of a book that uh, just kind of dispels a lot of these myths called Cortez, the great adventurer and the fate of Aztec Mexico by Richard Lee Marks. Um, I didn't get to read it yet, but um, it piqued my interest that just kind of dispels a lot of these things. And so uh, I plan to get that and, and, and read it. But I mean, the Puritans were really just an amazing uh, bunch of people. And so um, I think we do have much, much uh, to learn from them. So let's transition real quick to kind of modern day American Thanksgiving. 
So let's just fast forward to 1863. It's the middle of the Civil War. President Lincoln issues a Thanksgiving proclamation with seemingly much of the same heart that the French Huguenots uh, had and the Puritans had, saying, the year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To this, to these bounties, which are so consistently constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they came. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of almighty God. And then he he goes on to say, despite these three years of civil war, we're surrounded by the gracious gifts of the most high God. He says, it is seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledge these gifts from God as fellow citizens in every part of the United States. And also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of Thanksgiving and praise. Here it is to our benefactor, to our benish, beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Mm-hmm. In testimony thereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Wow. What do you think about those apples? I think spoken from one of the greatest greatest men and presidents in our nation. Uh, in the middle of a war, of the bloodiest war in our country. He saw the hand of God in everything. Yeah, and I think he gets there's that that line where he says um, to, to these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed, that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. I think that's yeah. the heart of it. I mean, we enjoy the bounties from God, uh, whether we believe they're from God or not, um, but we forget that He is the source of these things. I mean, you would never receive a gift from somebody, you know, on Christmas, right? And and not thank them for it. Uh, and yet how, how quickly we forget the source from which our blessings come from both, um, you know, both of this world uh, and also spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like what do atheists sit around and give thanks for when they're sitting around the Turkey? They're just, they're thankful for the turkey. They're thankful for the dish. And I spoke to a, a woman one time and I was sharing the gospel with her. And she was all about, oh, we have to thank the earth and the trees. And, and I said, imagine you make this incredible meal for your children. They sit down and they thank the meal and they give praise to the meal. But the meal didn't jump on the dish apart from the one who made it. Right. And so I said, you're thanking everything God made. You're thanking the creation, but you're never stopping to actually thank the creator of the creation. And so I said, you're, you're missing it. And that's why you're involved in idolatry and paganism. And I just, you know, shared the gospel with her, but, but I had to, I mean, it just grieved my own heart, even though we've done the same thing in many ways, practically speaking, um, people sit around the table and what we must do is we must give thanks to God for all that he's given and all that he's not given. 
you know, as well. Right. I, I think about that painting, another painting. Uh, but this, this time I know the, <laughs> it's by uh, Norman Rockwell. It's the uh, four freedoms. Um, and there's that one freedom, freedom from wants. And, um, or I think it's called the art of Thanksgiving. And it's, you know, this, this lady putting the turkey on the table and everyone's just like laughing and, and looking at this turkey. And uh, we, we thank God from freedom from want. But that's the thing. We, we thank the giver of, of this. Uh, and yes. I think a lot of times people, uh, especially, you know, our Americans, they're, they're, they're thankful for the gifts and they're thanking people for cooking and they're thanking people. They're thanking their, you know, they're thankful for their family members and friends and things like that. And those are good things to be thankful for. But you have to be you have to direct that thanks and that praise to the giver of those things. Yeah, because God gave you your cousins and your aunts, your uncles, you know, even your embarrassing uncle, <laughs> you know, makes those funny sounds at his armpit. No, you don't have an uncle like that. No, I don't either. Everyone has a weird <laughs> uncle. <laughs> Everybody's got a weird uncle. <laughs> no, my, most of my uncles are pretty good. Um, but so what about like Franklin Roosevelt's um, involvement with Thanksgiving? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think this is, um, you know, definitely a shift from presidents like Lincoln. And so, uh, so Lincoln named this, this national holiday here, but, uh, what happened with FDR is, uh, he changed the celebration to take place, not in the last Thursday, like the last Thursday in November, but the Thursday beforehand. And why did he do that? He did that to give more shopping time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So people would have more time to buy their gifts and this is uh this is pragmatic and this is a commercial approach to Thanksgiving. Very spiritual man. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, so it's you're you're losing you're more losing the original meaning of Thanksgiving. And so you know you think now right to the emergence of something we call Black Friday right the night uh, like at midnight right starts this and even now I, I'm seeing it's coming even before. Uh, Thanksgiving, the Black Friday sales are coming beforehand, and you know who doesn't love a sale? But it's just like the the capturing of your attention and your efforts, uh, and it's kind of absurd, right? The only place really in the world where the day after we're supposedly giving thanks, we're so material centered and focused. Uh, and in extreme examples, fights are breaking out in WalMarts across the country. <laughs> you see, you've seen the YouTube videos. You know where people are are throwing TVs at each other and and fighting for the for the last you know action figure or the last PS five in the store, and this is the complete opposite of giving thanks. It's the complete materialism that is our uh, our beloved country. They sleep in front of sidewalks of stores to get that PS five and be the first one online and all of these things. And, you know, and some of these are like 12 year old kids, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely nuts. Um, and so it has been turned, it seems from something that is Godward to something that is ungodly in one sense, it's idolatrous. Yeah. You know, but I mean, look, just like the Israelites, right? They kind of, they come out of Egypt thanking God. And the first thing they do, boom, they make a golden calf and they worship it and called it Yahweh. Right. So, I mean, it just, this idolatrous heart just seems to be embedded. I think it was John Calvin who said that our heart is like an idol factory 
And so I think we see that. And so FDR's focus wasn't really on thanking God, but about boosting the economy more and more. And I think I was just like many, you know, many Americans. I I knew the giver of these gifts and I prayed and we we thank God. And, um, but I, I think I enjoyed more than I should, um, the other parts of Thanksgiving, uh, you know, the eating, the food, and those things are, are delicious. And the time with family and the laughs, like those are not bad things. Um, but I want to encourage the believers out there listening to uh, really lean more in the direction of taking time to taking a significant amount of time to pray. Um, yeah. Of sharing your testimony of like st- really stopping and considering all that the Lord has given you. I mean, like your heart can't, doesn't your heart just swell? And to know that not only he's given you life and breath and, you know, he's, his son has died for you. Like there's so many blessings that we take part in. I mean, like every, you, you think about the Jews and their, their manna from heaven, right. And they're the pheasant they ate. And like, you think to yourself, wow, man, God provided for them. How could they be complaining? We do the same thing. You know, we, we get all this bounty and blessings and, and, and no one, no one that I know is without, it, you know, and, it is God who made those things. It's God who makes sure that's on your table right now. And I think it behooves us to make sure that our families, our children, our churches know that Thanksgiving is not about the turkey, but it's about the God that made the turkey mm-hmm. instead. I mean, every time we see food, we should think that, you know, God's hand provided all of these things. Um and so uh, why do you think Christians should be thankful daily and personally, as opposed to just, you know, this, this time of the year, so to speak? It's because his mercies are new every morning, right? He doesn't just show us mercies on this one time of year. Um, but right. actually, right, part of the uh, Christians should have a spirit of thanksgiving in, the, in them. And plus, it's also commanded of us in Scripture. Um, you know, Ephesians uh, in Ephesians one chapters one and two, right? We, we, we read about all these spiritual blessings we inherit from Christ. Uh, and this is yeah. a reason to be thankful. And in Colossians chapter two, uh, verse six through seven, I'll, I'll read it. It says, therefore, as you, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. I don't see anything about a turkey and, and cranberry sauce yeah, or, there. Or even, or even a one-day thing, right? It's, it's why should you, – you ought to be abounding, right? Overflowing mm. with a thankful heart um, to who? To the Lord. Why? Because you received the gift. You received Christ Jesus the Lord. Um, wow. And so we have – I mean we have him and uh, we have him as an inheritance – and we always talk about how we are better than we deserve, but we received, we received Christ himself yes. uh, and we are rooted in him and established, you know, unshaken and no one can snatch us from his hands. So that is why we ought to be abounding in Thanksgiving as Colossians says. Oh, you just gave me Jesus bumps when he said no one can snatch us from his hands. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, I know that I believe it, but just all over again, you know, no one can take me out of the father's hand. And, uh, you know, I heard one pastor said, yeah, nobody can take you out of his hand, but you can run away from home like the prodigal. 
But uh, that pastor doesn't actually understand what the story of the two sons or the prodigal is about to um, make such a claim. No one, God's plan cannot fail. It's impossible for him to fail. (laughs) Um, So like the French Huguenots, you know, they came with uh, these, uh, this Psalter from Geneva And so what's the place that music has in in expressing things? So you are uh, a music leader in our church um, and a very gifted one at that, I might say. Um, And so, you know, what would you say to that? I mean, you know, (laughs) music is, is a, is a a way that we express our heart and express Mm. what's on our heart. You know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it's it's not it's not uh, surprising that so much of the emotion uh, and heart that we see uh, expressed in Scripture comes from the Psalms, which were songs, and you see every kind of emotion in the Psalms, and uh, you also see Thanksgiving, and. Uh, this is a this is a a way and a mechanism that we express uh, our thanks to God, that we express our love for God, that we express our appreciation to God for what He's done through the Gospels through Jesus Christ. Um, wow. A few verses uh, for for us here to support that is Hebrews chapter thirteen. Right, it says, "Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God." That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Isn't that like the, the picture of what the Puritans did and the pilgrims did, right? They, they uh, offered up praise to God in Thanksgiving and also shared what they had uh, in that bounty. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I would agree with that. And it made me think of the venison you shared with me, the, the jerky and stuff, you know? So uh, thank you for being obedient to that passage of scripture. My taste buds very much appreciate and thank God for that. Hopefully I can, hopefully I can make it happen again. No guarantees. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But what about what Ephesians 5, uh, 18 through 20 says about that? Uh, Ephesians 5 says, um, and do not get drunk with wine. Uh, plug on Thanksgiving. And Christmas, do not get drunk with the wine. That's right. <laughs> For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then what's the next verse? Giving thanks yeah. always. Wow. Uh, and for everything to to who to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not this- it's not a coincidence that um, you have one verse or this in the same verse singing and singing hymns and encouraging each other uh, and singing to the Lord and then giving thanks to the Lord. They're, they're so wait, thanking God for everything. So you mean only the good things that happen in our lives? No, no, no. Thanking God for the trials as well. Thanking God for the bad things that happen. People that died, coronavirus, we're thanking God for the coronavirus. We're thanking God for all the mess that's happening in the elections. We're thanking God for everything. Part of the peace that surpasses all understanding is 
um, is knowing that a God is sovereign and he orchestrates everything and he has power over everything. He not only planned, but executes all things that happen, uh, no matter how minute in our life or no matter how large on a world scale or in history. So you take that truth and you also take the truth that, um, he works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And, uh, if you put those two things together in an equation, you can be thankful for even the, the, the terrible things, the terrible circumstances and the trials in our lives that show up because you know, it's for our good and for his glory. I'm going to make a statement for our listeners. I thank God for 2020. Amen. I do. I thank God for 2020. <laughs> who will you hear say that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're just complaining about 2020, saying it's not normal, can't wait to get back to normal. Uh, this is God sovereign. He's sovereign over every molecule in the universe, as R.C. Sproul uh, has often said. Well, the late R.C. Sproul. But he's also sovereign in that over every COVID molecule in the world. I mean, God is at work in all of these things. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is God doing? And how can I still be thankful for all that God is doing? Job said he thanks God in the good times and the bad times. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so it's very easy to give thanks to God when everything's going well, but can you still, will you still, do you still thank God in the hard, trying trials when people are dying, when people are getting sick? Are you still, do you still have an abundant heart of overflowing thanks? Can you still sing in exuberant joy and praise to our God? I heard a pastor recently talk about this. Of, uh, if you've ever seen the painter Bob Ross, in the beginning, you know, he has in his mind this masterpiece. But in the beginning, right. you know, he's just making like splotches and lines. And you don't really know what it's going to look like, but he is the master artist and he knows what's going to look like. And so that's kind of like how we could view God. You know, he's the master uh, architect here and he knows the ultimate design of things. He knows what it's going to look like. And we have to trust him. You know, we see the splotches, we see the, the crooked lines and we don't understand what he's doing, except that he is going to do all things that please him. And it's going to be good for us who put our trust in him. All right. So now I'm going to try to use an artistic illustration <laughs> because you've egged me on your, it's, it's like four to zero. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, you know, when I draw something, it just does look like all kinds of lines and they just don't intersect. <laughs> I could, yeah, figure painting, you know, <laughs> I go outside the lines with my crayons. I can do bubble letters, some mean bubble letters, but that's kind of the extent. But um, I heard an illustration from my friend, uh, Easy Wayne of Living Waters. And, uh, you know, he, he was saying, imagine if you had just this incredible uh, scrapbook, let's say, from Michelangelo. Right. And I think it was maybe another uh, a person, not Michelangelo, but for the sake of illustration. And uh, and you gave it to your kids. Right. And and this thing is worth millions and millions of dollars or billions of dollars. And then you give them like, you know, uh, some kind of car cartoon character that uh, that they like. And you gave them that coloring book and it's worth like nine, nine cents. I mean, they're going to really go after the one that's worth nothing. <laughs> 
And right, they're gonna they're not gonna think Michelangelo scrapbook, you know, is worth anything. Matter of fact, they just probably take it and just scribble on it as I well. Like it's it means my nothing. daughters will tear it up. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yes, yes, they would. Um, you know, and we don't realize as we look at the portrait of what God is doing in our world that uh, it it is it is such a treasure as God unfolds everything to point to the perfect portrait of his son, the Lord Jesus, by which uh, we should always give thanks. And who exemplified Thanksgiving? I mean, what did he do at the Last Supper? Uh, he, he, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he distributed. And then he said, this is my body. Um, <laughs> I mean, broken for you. And he was even giving thanks, uh, portraying the fact that he was going to go to the cross and die i mean who does that what kind of man would do that maybe the god man <laughs> just incredible well i want to close with a couple of things um so much of the psalms they express thanks to god and i was talking to dylan i said you know the name of our podcast is in the psalms and dylan said where where is it where is it and uh this might be a stretch so no heresy stones here uh <laughs> Selah, stop and think about mm. it. <laughs> mm. I know it can mean mm. other things as well, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, isogeet on that one. <laughs> no, but uh, there is a rendition uh, that Selah means kind of stop and ponder about it. But uh, so stop and think about yeah. it. So next time you read your Bible, I think it's in there 71 times, but who's counting? Um, and so we read a Thanksgiving or proclamation um, in the Psalms, Psalm 136, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And this was kind of call and response type of Psalm, which many churches used. Uh, give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever to him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. And toward the end of the, the Psalm, um, he continues uh, in that kind of same vein, um, what we give thanks for and the fact that God's love endures forever. So let me just close with these things. Dylan, what are some, what are like the top three things you're thankful for in like one sentence? Sure. But I will say that uh, if you rename the podcast, Selah, you have to do it in Hebrew. <laughs> There you go. I've figured out that pronunciation. Oy vey. <laughs> uh, top three things I'm thankful for in one sentence. Uh, you're asking for three. I'll give you four. Uh, <laughs> okay. What a sinner. He's going outside the rules already. Uh, I'm thankful that God hasn't killed me in my sin, uh, that he's slow to anger, and that he's abounding in steadfast love. So I'm thankful, first and foremost, for my salvation. I'm thankful that uh, Jesus gave his life for mine. And he clothed me in his righteousness that he earned and that I did not earn. Uh, and that he's given me a new life and a new heart and an affection for God. And uh, like, this, like the hymn says, an interest in the Savior's blood. Uh, thankful that um, I can't be snatched from his hands. Uh, that I cannot lose my salvation. But I'm also thankful that uh, he's united me with Christ and sealed me with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm thankful for my conscience. I've, I've been hearing a lot of, uh, I've been talking to a lot of brothers about the conscience and that I pray my conscience would never be seared 
and it would be um, soft and sensitive to sin. That's my biggest prayer for my daughters, that they would be sensitive to sin. Um, number two. That was all number one. <laughs> that sounded like about 10. No, man. You can't. <laughs> you could always be thankful for just one of those things. Also. This is true. <laughs> um, thankful for his word. Uh, that is uh, uh, a light unto our, our feet and it illuminates our path. Uh, it's a tool that God has uh, used to make me more holy and obedient and to show me who he is, right? His character, his attributes. Uh, and I'm reading, so I'm reading through Acts right now, I told you, um, and I'm reading where, you know, towards the end where uh, you see, you really see the, the labor and the life of Paul. And you see, you know, uh, the Lord wants us to see a man who's completely sold out for Christ. You know, he's laying down his life for the cause of the gospel. As he heads into Jerusalem, he says, I am prepared to die uh, for Jesus. And he's, he's weeping with the Ephesian elders and admonishing them daily. And so like, I love the word because it, it teaches me and it reminds me of um, that. I need to be like this as he is like Christ. Uh, And so it increases my faith, right? We know faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. So I love the word. Um, it's, it's, it's good for everything. And then, um, I'm thankful for my family. They're my ministry and my joy, my number one joy, um, on this earth. And so, you know, the scripture says a man who finds a good, a wife finds a good thing. And I found a good wife. So I found a, an excellent thing. <laughs> my wife, you married, up. married. Oh man. You don't even know. You don't even know in like every category, uh, almost every category I married up. And, uh, my wife, Ruthie is uh, fantastic. She's wonderful. She's a great encouragement. And we uh, were different in some ways and we balance each other. And, you know, this time, this time in 2020 has been difficult, has been challenging. And the Lord's really used my family uh, as a sanctification tool uh, to keep me humble and and also to mature me as a believer. Uh, And so I've got two beautiful daughters um, and uh, they are arrows in my quiver and they like make me laugh constantly. Uh, I don't. I don't recommend this, but we saw Home Alone the other night, a uh, Christmas movie. We're already seeing showing Christmas movies before Thanksgiving, and my daughter was either afraid or belly laughing, and it was just like bringing bringing lots of um, lots of joy to to us. They always do, um, and they're in my ministry. You know, they, I, I teach the gospel to them, and I, I I need to live it out in front of them. So, and then number four, Amen. thankful for um, for the church. Uh, the bride of Christ. I'm thankful for the leaders of the church, like you, Pastor Phil. Um, you encourage me, and you reflect Jesus to me, uh, and uh, in the way that we love each other, uh, you know, that that's that's what, how we ought to do it. How we reflect Christ to each other, um, and also I, I like being used by God in the church and for the church to build up and uplift and edify. And so uh, his bride is, is wonderful. Apart from that, I'm, I'm thankful for create. I'm just thankful for nature. I love, I love hunting after thank after Thanksgiving. Uh, and the next day I usually go hunting and hopefully I could bring back some of that venison that you talked about. So uh, I, I do love his, his creation. Um, it does like point back to him and his majesty and the redwoods and the trees. I don't see redwoods, but the trees, um, those are, those are things that I appreciate and, and give God thanks for. 
So you run to the woods when everybody's running to the shopping malls. Yeah, I, I'm going all that <laughs> traffic. There you go. <laughs> it's actually, it's so, actually like the worst drive of the year because I just ate some turkey, right? It has tryptophan in it. I'm tired and I'm like, you know, operating on some little sleep. So I'm, I'm like, it's the worst drive of the year for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say, number one, I'm thankful for the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the fact that he is so amazingly uh, righteous and holy, and yet he saved me and made me his own. Uh, Secondly, I would thank God that he called me to be a shepherd, both to my family um, as the shepherd of my home and over his church, that he would entrust uh, me of anybody on this planet uh, to his people. And I I would say, um, thirdly, in the midst of that, uh, I'm just so thankful for um, God's word and how he teaches me to love my wife and to nurture my children and my family. Uh, They're just such gems. I probably don't always treat them uh, as such as they are, but... um, when I screw up and I have to repent and ask for their forgiveness, even to my little ones, um, it just reminds me all over again how patient God is with me. And so uh, I am great, very grateful for my family mm. um, and my extended family, which would be the Church of Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, I'm so grateful for the brothers and sisters. God has surrounded me with just some wonderful saints in my life that have been such a gem, so helpful, so encouraging, um, that have corrected me, that have encouraged me, that have rebuked me, that have loved me, that have provided for me. Um, And so uh, I'm just so grateful to the Lord. Um, And so thank you for all the ministries that the Lord has um, allowed me to do and, and use me in any way as an instrument in the hand of the Redeemer, of someone who's so undone and who has so much to be worked on. Um, but I thank God that, uh, as Evans often says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he called. You know, we say all the time, right? Better than I deserve. Truly. We're, we're rich. We're the richest people on the, on this planet. Um, we have a, we have a, a generous King, um, and, and we, we deserve hell, but he gives us the family name. He gives us, he gives yeah. us his bride. We are his bride. He redeemed us. He bought us, brings us to his family. Uh, and he equips us to uh, make us ambassadors of his. Thank you for sharing that. Well, friends and foes, saints and sinners, in conclusion, realized that many people thought that the early church espoused cannibalism because the early church spoke of celebrating the Lord's Supper, using the words of the Lord about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which were clearly symbolic terms, but the culture took those terms as being literal. You see, man has a way of twisting the words and the works of the Lord. And in light of this, the group known as the Puritans does not fit the secular cultural mold of staunch, misogynistic, legalistic religious zealots. Overall, the very godly, very joyful, and very disciplined Christians that were simply trying to flee persecution for religious freedom. And instead of looking down upon them, they are a group worthy to look up to and to greatly glean and learn from. And we hope to look to the Puritans more on future podcasts, maybe even some individual Puritans for that matter.
And just as they were thankful for God's provision and protection upon their lives, even in the midst of dying, as many died on the journey coming to the new world, we too should look and be thankful to God for his daily provision and protection in our own lives. My question is, does this describe you? Have you learned this lesson from the Puritans? Well, I do have another infomercial. In fact, we are opening our Soul Fishing Ministries online store just in time for Christmas. Check out our various items such as our Spurgeon Ugly Santa Sweatshirt, our Stop and Think About It, and Soul Fishing Ministries, quote, magic mugs, our our t-shirts, and our sweatshirts. Also, need a 2021 calendar? We will have our 2021 calendar Spirit of Reformers calendar for sale this month as well. Finally, please keep us in your prayers as we go soul fishing here in New York City during this Christmas season and always. And share about the Christ of Christmas with a world that desperately needs the Savior that you and I know and love. Well, thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener-supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.